0: Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. When that happens, we... We can either choose to just set our face like Flint and say, "Okay, Jesus, I'm following you, and we're going to do this. Or you can take a step back into the comfort of a religious system that you can custom design for yourself where you can be comfortable for a season until God then makes you uncomfortable again. So, um, the, the message today, it, it, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm setting my face like flint, because there there are certain aspects of of my calling and my destiny that I would really rather avoid i I would rather not do um, John Cox understands the job that I used to have uh before we launched this church and uh, I was working in an engineering dominated organization with the job of basically telling the vast majority of the engineers to do something that they did not want to do. As one who was not an engineer. And, you know, it. A lot of times it wasn't fun because, you know, there's you want to be liked in life, you want to fit in 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 life, and and when when your job is is, is to to push a whole bunch of people in a direction that they don't want to go you're not liked. And and you're you're not very well accepted, either. And uh, this this kind of brings us to Revelation chapter two. Uh, the the church at Pergamos or Pergamum, depending on your translation. I I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Um, Be prepared to be confronted today, okay? It was about 18 years ago or so that that the Lord moved Joy and I into uh, following Jesus and out of a religious system that we were both Pretty comfortable in, and through the the early part of of that process, uh, we went through uh, quite a bit of what what I have come to call deconstruction of our mindset of what church was supposed to be like. Because, going back to what I was saying, as as we follow Jesus and and our heart is truly to follow him, he he is going to show us things that require decision. You know, if he he shows you something in your life that that is is not consistent with your identity in him, then you have to make a decision. Because you're you're either gonna turn your back on that thing, or you are at least temporarily going to say no to God. And and that's that's those are the choices. There there aren't any others. And so as as we began to pursue God and we, we spent some time in a house church that, that was intended to be a, a cell-based church plant and it was in, in that expression of the church that, that a lot of our assumptions, a lot of our traditions, a lot of our comfort zones were challenged. And... You know, t- today, I'm, as as I began to look at this letter to to the church at Pergamos, it it, it brought me back to some of that stuff, and and it uh, it reinforced some things that I, I felt like the Lord w- had been saying to me, even for the last few years. Uh... You you will notice that we we have never had an Easter service here. I I've probably never said that word from from up here until just now. As we, we've celebrated Resurrection Sunday. And this this past Christmas. Uh, my daughter-in-law and I had some conversations about how the difficulty that I was having with, with even recognizing that holiday. And, and I even had some conversations with, with some of you that, you know, maybe these atheists who are fighting against the Christmas public Christmas displays and all that, you know maybe they're really doing us a favor and after the message today i i hope most of you will will agree with that but if <clears throat> see following jesus is about living according to the spirit and and there are some dichotomies that are explained in in the new testament you it's either spirit or law one has preeminence it's it's either spirit or tradition one will have preeminence and you know we I think a lot of people have this, this mistaken idea that, that when we come to the Lord, we're born again, we, we become new creations, new, a new kind of creature, literally, with new spiritual capacities. We, we have this idea that, that we have everything. And in a sense, that's true. But in another sense, it's not true. We have access to everything in Christ. We've been given all every spiritual blessing, access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But we, we now have this functioning spirit as part of our being that, that's now alive and connected to God that, that requires development. There, there are spiritual senses that the Lord would have us possess that, that we don't automatically have in fullness. Do you know what I'm saying? Because Jesus continually says in these letters to the churches, he, he says... Let those who have an ear to hear, hear this. And he's he's not speaking of these kind of ears. He's he's speaking of spiritual ears. And if, if we're going to get to the place of fullness in following Jesus... We, we need to develop these spiritual senses that, that we have an initial deposit of. We, we need to develop our spiritual sense of hearing the voice of the Lord that, that comes from here, not from here. And, and we, we need to develop spiritual eyes to see what's happening in, in the spiritual realm, and, and you can see those things most of the time with your eyes closed if that sense is developed. So if, if we are content to, to live in somebody else's religious system or a religious system that was designed by somebody else, then we really don't need spiritual ears or spiritual eyes. We, we don't need discernment of good and evil, uh, right and wrong. We, we can get by without that because there, there's somebody else to tell us all those things. But that is not the way that God intended for the church to operate. He, he did not want us to just operate in religious systems that take the place of his spirit. So, <clears throat> I, I think that's all I need to say for introductory remarks <laughs> this morning. It, it's not been an, an easy and entirely fun week preparing this message. So, as, as it is not entirely fun for you to hear it, I can sympathize with you. Um, <laughs> but hear it, okay? Now, the letter, the, the third letter in Revelation chapter 2 the letter to the church at Pergamos. Those who view the seven letters to the seven churches as representatives of basic ages within the church, and that's a, that's a widely held view, and I, I have a lot of agreement as that is one of the interpretations of these seven letters. There, there are others, but that's not the only one. Uh, this letter relates to the church during uh, the age of Constantine. It's, it's the, the Constantinian church, the Roman church. When the church went from being uh, small, little, oftentimes heavily persecuted fellowships throughout the Roman Empire... It transitioned from that to being designated the religion of the state and and given political recognition and authority. But with that, with that political recognition and authority came some bad stuff it it was the age when paganism crept in to the church and so we we read this letter understanding what happened in in the church age that this letter is is addressing but it's also addressing the church in a particular place. And remember that the Lord is wanting to speak to us as we look at these seven churches. He is wanting to do in us the same thing that he was wanting to do in those seven small congregations in Asia minor around 70 60 or 70 80 he jesus <clears throat> we we looked at how he is he is speaking to the churches as jesus the judge not jesus the humble servant who had come and, and lived on the earth and, and gave his life and, and what he was wanting to happen in these seven churches is as I, I mean <clears throat> we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago Jesus the, the one who sees all and knows all is speaking as the one who will come to judge these seven churches, and he is pointing out the key at least to five of these churches who, who need serious correction. He's, he's pointing out the key to them moving on, the, the key to them becoming who he intends them to be. And, and as, as we look at, at these seven letters, he is wanting the same for us. He, he, he is wanting to shine the light of his all-knowing, penetrating eyes like flames of fire. He, he is wanting those things to expose things in us Individually and corporately so that we can become who he wants us to be Because if, if, if you don't know it yet, I'm, I'm going to clue you in we're, we're not exactly where he wants us to be right now Okay, so let's, let's look at this letter and we'll start in revelation 2 verse 12 some translations even even say this rather than to the angel of the church in some even say to the pastor of the church in because it was these The literal translation of of that Greek word is is to the messenger. And so that that could be looked at as this being a letter written to the pastor or being written to the angel who stands behind the pastor and looks after him and strengthens him, uh, whatever it might be. It's written to the church. So to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, "'Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, "'and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. "'He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. "'To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, "'and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone,' Which no one knows but he who receives it. And uh, that word stumbling block in verse 14 literally means Balaam was teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel. Something which leads others to turn away from God's salvation and thus come to ruin. That's, that's exactly what Balaam was doing. And most of us remember the story from Numbers 23 where Balak, a king, hired this prophet Balaam, who we know very little about, to come and curse Israel as, as they were coming. Because he saw that they were strong, he, he saw them as as a threat, and he he knew that this Balaam person uh, was a prophet and and could speak the words of the Lord. And so he hired him to come and curse Israel. And uh, on, the, on the, his way on Balaam's way, we we have the interesting story of of the donkey who spoke. And Balaam had a conversation with his donkey, <laughs> and the donkey actually saved his life and It would have been much better would have been much better for Israel if the donkey had just let him be killed. But what happened is he ended up blessing Israel instead of cursing israel and this made the king really mad because he was spending all this money to have Israel cursed and he he hired the prophet with, with good money and, and he, he didn't get what he paid for. But what happens as you continue to read the story in, into Numbers 24 and 25, we see the result of what Balaam actually told Balak to do. He, he couldn't curse Israel, but this, this is what he did. He he told the king you know god god is with these people and you you don't want to mess with them but here's the key if you get them to turn away from their god then he'll take care of them and you won't have to and and that was and and he said, and and here's what you do. You you send a bunch of your women in there, and and you you get them to entice the men in into their pagan religious observances that, that involved uh, sexual acts, and and this this will lead them into idolatry. And then, and then you won't even have to worry about them because God will just come down and he'll take care of business for you. And and that was, that was the teaching of Balaam. And so, so there were there were people in this church. Who, who had fallen into uh, the teaching of Balaam uh, they, they had gotten see heres here's what this take a step back further when when we want to interpret what the Bible is saying, there's there's a two-step process. first, we, we need to understand what the writer of Scripture is saying to his original audience. As step number one in interpretation. We figure that out. And then we say, okay, in, in light of, of that, what is this now saying to us in our time and where we are? And Fortunately, it's, it's really, really easy this time because what happened here in, in this church at, at Pergamum, and, and this is something that was happening in Corinth, it's some, something that was happening in, in some of the other churches in, in the Roman Empire, is, is that the Christians we're starting to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Or eat meat that was dedicated to idols in, in pagan temples. And, you know, for, for us, that sounds like, well, we don't do that. Well, just stay with me, okay? Because here, here's the deal. This, this is what was happening. Uh, these pagan people, they, they, let's say they, they take a lamb or you know whatever it was. They, and and they, they would offer sacrifices in their temples, similar to the way the children of Israel offered sacrifices to Jehovah at at his temple. And some of that meat would be kept by the priest for consumption. Some of it would be used in, in the actual sacrifice, and some of it they would get back. And, and they would generally uh, take that and, and have a feast with it because they didn't have refrigeration. It, it had to be eaten fairly quickly. And, and so oftentimes that feast would even be part in, in the pagan temple or it could have been at their home and they would invite their friends because have all this meat and it needs to be eaten let's 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 have a party and so what was wrong with the christians eating meat that was sacrificed to idols well here is is that thing that i was talking about earlier how there are sometimes aspects of our calling, sometimes aspects of being a follower of jesus that that we would rather avoid that, that we would rather not fully embrace as as the people of god if if we are indeed the people of God. Then that means God gets to define our identity. And and He He also gets to set boundaries for our behavior. This you do, this you don't do. And and, and some of you are saying, ooh, he's he's getting into legalism now. <laughs> no. I mean, that, that is the reality of being the people of God. One of the things that the people of God do is they marry in within the people of God. It was true for Israel, and if you carefully read the New Testament, you'll see that that's what we're supposed to do too. Well, it was not following that one particular rule that led many people in Israel into idolatry and it has led many people in the church into decades of great difficulty in their lives that could have been avoided if they had been obedient at one particular time. I know, I'm just stepping on everybody's feet, so just just get used to it. I've had marks on my shoes all week. So, <clears throat> as the people of God, we're, we're supposed to be enigmas. I love that word. We're we're supposed to be mysterious. We're we're supposed to be impossible for people outside of Christ to understand, (laughs) because they look at our life and it just doesn't make sense. And as a result, we're often rejected, and and we're we're often persecuted. were were often not liked. And many of us would rather avoid that. And they were no different in the first century. Well, what does it really hurt if I just go to my friend's feast in this temple? I'm not going to worship the idols anyway. And they'll... They'll just, they'll think I'm weird if I never want to do anything that our culture does. Hmm. Maybe there is an application in our culture for this food sacrifice to idols thing. Do you think? Yeah, I think. And, and that's how it started. Well, if, if you want to read that whole story in Numbers 23, 24, 25, it goes all the way to 31 where Balaam is finally killed. But it, it ended up with 24,000 Israelites losing their lives because they got involved in this idolatry stuff. It was called the Incident of Peor, if you want to look that up. And there was one guy, Phineas, who was zealous for the Lord. And he stopped the plague by finding a a man and a woman in the act and running a spear through both of them. Or more would have died. And the Lord said, I like that guy. <laughs> and, and he gave him this thing that I don't think you find anywhere else in Scripture. He said, I'm giving you my covenant of peace for you and all your generations because you were so zealous for me and my name. I would rather be that than avoid rejection, than avoid some calling and destiny so that people would like me better. So, we know that what was happening here in this church is that that there were people who were getting involved in idolatry just a little bit at a time. Well, I'll just go to the feast. It's at his house. And who really cares if the meat was sacrificed to idols? They're, They're not really gods anyway. Well, who cares if... The feast is at the temple. I'm not going to worship the God in the temple anyway. And, hmm, that worship of those idols, that looks like a lot of fun. Hmm. And that's how they got there. And what Jesus is saying is those people need to repent or I'm going to come and I'm going to fight with them with the sword of my mouth. I'm telling you this. You don't want to be one of the ones that Jesus the judge comes to fight with the sword of his mouth is look that up later in Revelation. They're not in the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you that. Now, what happened in the church age that this letter is addressed to? Well, it's a similar kind of thing. The churches in the Roman Empire were, were, were small. They, they were powerful because the power of the Spirit of God was upon them. But they were enigmas. It was like in... Uh, I think it's the third chapter of Acts or the very end of the second chapter because people didn't know what to think. And that's literally what what that verse means that I'm thinking about as as people were saved and added to their number daily, but but there was fear among the people toward the church because they just they didn't know quite what to make of all that. It it didn't fit in their grid. So what happens You know there's a Roman persecution That goes on And that's the church of Smyrna The one before this Where the church is heavily persecuted But you notice That the church that is heavily persecuted Is not corrected Because the persecuted church Stays on the right track Out of necessity (laughs) To survive So Constantine the Emperor makes some kind of profession of faith there's, there's great disagreement among historians and early church uh, historians whether or not he, he was actually saved uh, and the, the reality is we, we will not know un, until heaven whether Constantine was actually saved or not. But so the emperor now becomes part of the church. And the emperor is, is used to all of these pagan celebrations and pagan worship that looked like a lot of fun. And a couple of the the main times of year when Baal was worshipped was at the shortest day of the year in December and in the equinox of of spring. And I, I really don't know how much detail to get into this because I've got so much stuff here. It's, it's really horrible. It's, it's, it's really bad. The, the pagan celebrations. There, nobody in the church of jesus christ celebrated jesus birthday for at least the first three hundred years of the church let me just tell you that there there's no historic evidence that that anybody celebrated jesus birthday in the church for the first three hundred years in fact some of the real early church fathers went so far as to say that it's wrong for the saints to celebrate birthdays, our our natural day of, of birth. That is something that only pagans do, like Roman emperors, because they did, because they were supposed to be part God like the Egyptian pharaohs. So when Constantine comes to church, he, he is familiar with the celebration around the 22nd, 23rd, 25th of December and says, I think we should do this. and yes it would have been really hard to be a church leader and say no constantine we're not doing this see this this has been the worship of the sun saturnalia was a very rowdy time when they honored Saturn, the God of the sun around the 25th of December and the leaders of the church could have said no, we're not doing that and and maybe they did and then Constantine pushed a little harder and said well What if we call it something else? I'm just saying, how about Jesus' birthday? You like that one? Let's call it that. What could be wrong with celebrating Jesus' birthday? I don't care what Oregon said. About only pagans celebrating birthdays. I really don't want to give up all the fun of Saturnalia. So, around 325, some in the church began to celebrate something called Christ Mass. 200 years later, everybody was doing it in the Roman Empire, and it was Christmas. See, they they thought they, they had to do something so that the days wouldn't keep getting shorter. They had to invoke some God, little g, so that the days would start getting longer again. Christmas had nothing to do with Jesus' birthday. Jesus was... For all prophetic intents and purposes, looking at the feasts of Israel, I'm personally certain that Jesus was born in September or October. It, It would only make sense, given the prophetic nature of the feasts that the Lord gave Israel, that Jesus would come during the Feast of Tabernacles. It virtually had to be. Now Easter is worse, and you know a, a lot of you who are Bible students, uh, you you probably have a copy of Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. How many of you have? Here, here is a direct quote from Vine's Dictionary, okay? The term Easter is not of Christian origin. It is another form of Astarte, one of the titles of the Chaldean goddess, the queen of heaven, of whom a statue is on top of Uh, the U.S. Capitol building, for your information. The festival of Pash, Passover, held by Christians in post-apostolic times was a continuation of the Jewish feast, which is what we do. We're, We're celebrating Passover, not in the technical sense that they did in the Old Testament, but in the more New Testament Framework where we are uh, recognizing all the prophetic pictures and pointing of the feast of Passover to to Jesus. From this Passover, the pagan festival of Easter was quite distinct and was introduced into the apostate Western religion as part of the attempt to adapt pagan festivals to Christianity. Um, It's hard to put it much more clearly than that. And and this, this Easter celebration was was probably the most sexual of, of all of the pagan celebrations because it was a huge fertility celebration. And, and that's why the bunnies and the eggs, they, they were always part of this Easter celebration because they were celebrating procreation. And invoking the little g gods to to bless all their procreation. That is Easter. And I, I could go on. Uh, ah. Now, this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So I I personally... I I am committed to no longer celebrating Christmas. I won't do it anymore. I don't want to hear the word Easter in this place we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and we're going to celebrate the Passover. See, because God gave his own people celebrations that point so clearly to Jesus There, there was this other thing that was happening in the church between 300 and 500 A.D. And it was a very ugly thing. The church was becoming anti-Jewish. As the Christian religion became popular and powerful, and socially acceptable, there were still these groups of followers of Jesus that were still an enigma. It was the Messianic Jewish people. And as the Gentile Church grew, it really didn't want anything to do with those Jewish believers. And there's, there's a really sad commentary, if I can find this in, in my notes, um... It was about one of the councils of the early church where where they basically decided we're not going to have any more to do with these Jewish festivals. We are celebrating Easter. Oof. Not all of the decisions made by those early church councils were, were so bad. Some of them were very good. But that was a bad one. when the lord sort of pushed joy and i in into our our journey of following him and it, there was a little bit of a push involved and i i was first exposed to vineyard music and to the Vineyard Church in Fort Collins and I began to be exposed to what, what God was doing in, a, uh, in the world. And I thought, wow, what have we missed? Be- because we'd been stuck in a, a little religious system that didn't communicate very much outside of its system. I I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't want to miss what you're doing. ever again. I want to be in the middle of it. And if we want to be in the middle of what God's doing, we got to take to heart what Jesus the judge is saying in Revelation 2 and 3. we we got to come back to the ways of God if we're going to be the people of God. we we got to step out of a casual pursuit of christianity we we got to step out of a, a passive approach to following god Because if 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 we will wholeheartedly be the people of God, following the Spirit rather than traditions, following the Spirit rather than the law, then we will be in the middle of what God is doing on the earth because those are the very people that he chooses so a lot of what we've done in celebrating Easter and Christmas has has, has been unknowing we we were just doing what we grew up with i i probably should have given a little disclaimer at the beginning of this message that if if you weren't willing to make some radical adjustments to the way that you fit in to culture, you might want to just leave now. (laughs) Sorry it's too late for that. (laughs) Because now you know. And now you're faced with that decision. Follow God and don't fit in. Or... Say no to God and enter the wilderness. I know which one I choose. (laughs) I've had enough wilderness in my life. I don't choose to go there anymore. If I'm going to be there, it's because God sends me there. And occasionally he does. So, this, this is what Jesus the judge said. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Sorry, Luke, no more Christmas presents. <laughs> See, I got to do all my repenting earlier in the week. Uh, you get to do yours now, if you so choose. See, the Lord is taking us somewhere. It's, it, it's been his way since Abraham. He took Abraham away from what he knew, what he was comfortable with, and, and he said, let's go. And I'll, I'll let you know where, where we're going when we get there. He hasn't changed that mode of operation very much. All we can do to stay on the journey is to keep saying yes. But we know, we know this, that at the end of the journey... is the full expression of the kingdom of heaven a new heaven and a new earth where we will be rewarded for our obedience on the earth and we will be given a position in that new structure based on what we've done here So, I just, uh, I want to give you all an opportunity. I mean, I know for some of you, you've known this for a while, and this is not a lot of new material, but I know for some of you, this is probably all new, and you're saying, like, what in the world? You've just told me that two of the biggest celebrations in, in my year are actually pagan celebrations that worship other gods? Well, yes, that is what I'm saying. So I don't feel like I, I really want to lead you through a prayer, but I, I want to give you a little time to do business with, with the Lord. So uh, just would you bow your heads and would you do business with the Lord? thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, let it operate in us. Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your son. Lord, continue to move us to where you want us to be. My prayer is that you would correct us now and not later so that we won't have to operate in regret on the day that you come. Lord, cleanse us. From wanting to avoid rejection and persecution. So I don't even understand it, but Jesus learned obedience through persecution. So teach us obedience. Raise us up, Lord, I pray you'd encourage us and our inner man, strengthen us to be enigmas so that our very lifestyle will confront the world around us. For the glory of Jesus. Amen. Whew. Well, if <laughs> I'm glad that was your response because I was going to say if you want to run me out on a rail, it's right across the street. <laughs> Don't you love Revelation? We need this. It's, it's the time for this. Amen. Hmm.